Welcome to the Core Women Podcast, the place for women entrepreneurs, authors, and self-starters looking to build community and gain valuable insights through expert interviews with women at the top of their game. Join your host, podcaster, producer, expert coach, entrepreneur, and author, Dr. Summer Watson, as she aims to inspire and empower you through these candid conversations. Lean in and embrace the journey. It's time to start the show. Here's your host, Dr. Summer Watson. Today on the show, I'd like to welcome Brianne Davis, who is an actor, director, producer, sober coach, and addiction recovery podcaster and best-selling author of Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. Brianne has produced multiple films, has been featured in over 175 podcasts and television shows, and has written multiple articles on the subject of sex and love addiction for Cosmopolitan UK, Daily Beast, HuffPost, and The Drill. Wow, what an incredible journey, Brianne. We have so much to talk about, so let's jump right into this and welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, thank you so much. So... Let's start out with, in your own words, give us a picture of where you grew up and what life experiences contributed to where you are today. Oh my God, that's a loaded question. Right. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, so I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, in a family of, you know, they're from New York, but they moved to Atlanta. So it wasn't like that Southern family. But everybody around me was very Southern and traditional. And my family was not, you know, my mother was a really hard worker. You know, I would say she's a workaholic. She would be okay with me saying that my father was a stay at home dad, which is oh. not the norm in the eighties at oh, all. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Wow. Yeah. Especially for the time the time and the environment. So nobody's family was like mine. So it was already, I felt other than I felt separate Mm. because I knew something was off, you know, and I have said this in the book and, and I'm very, you know, I've talked to my parents, but it was a very dysfunctional family. Mm. It wasn't an alcoholic family, but as you know, with Al-Anon, it's like alcohol and dysfunction. So, how I put it is I never saw my parents love each other, right? In a healthy way. Like it was fighting about money and then kind of making up for the kids. You know, I never saw them hold hands, kiss, say, I love you, sleep in the same bed. I couldn't even tell you. I never saw them sleep in the same bed, probably once. Really? Yes. So I grew up like my dad had his room. My mom had her room. So when I thought of marriage and commitment and, you know, having a normal upbringing, it looked gross. Like I was like, I don't want to get married. I don't want to have kids. I don't know healthy boundaries. I don't know healthy tools for relationships. And what I cling to, and I think a lot of people do is, you know, I was a latchkey kid. So when I would come home, my dad would be somewhere. My mom would be working and my sister and I would come home and no one would be there. So we grew up kind of raising ourselves in that environment. And I just you know, I latched on to the television films telling me what love was and all that showed, especially in that time was, you know, the falling in love, the butterflies, the push pull of like a dramatic relationship and then them being together. And I 
grew up reading romance novels. So I had a warped perception of what a relationship looked like. So I think that set me up to then become an actor because I was so uncomfortable in my skin that I put on a mask on a mask on a mask. Like I loved playing characters. Gotcha. Um, Yeah. So that's, that really primed me for my career. My therapist told me you picked the worst career for your addiction. <laughs> like she was <laughs> like, you literally could be anything else except an actor because I was an actor in life. Like right. I never knew who I was. And I think the beautiful thing about coming out and sharing my journey is a lot of people feel like that. A lot of people feel like they don't belong or something's mm-hmm. off or they don't feel comfortable in their skin. And that was me 24 seven. Wow. Oh my gosh. And just starting out that way. And what mm-hmm. was the step, how you established your whole concept of who you are. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't really who you were it was, you were just masking this. It was like that onion and layer and layer and another layer was being added. And I totally get you in regards to different families, latchkey kid. I grew up the same way. So Mm -hmm. I get that being left at home while parents worked. And then you had to pretty much raise yourself. And it was very interesting that you touched on never seeing your parents in the same room, sleep in the same room. I had grandparents just like that as well. It really warps a kid's imagination if you are in images of what relationships look like, because I never saw loving words. I saw like passive aggressive undercutting because they were both hurt. And when I look back at my family tree, addiction ran on both sides. It was like great, great, great grandfather was an alcoholic. And then every generation after that, like adapted it in a different way. There was abuse. There was you know, workaholism, overeating, I just became a sex and love addict. That was my high. Like I sniffed and snorted and drank people like, give me your attention, give me your validation, make me feel important. And the moment that high wore off, the moment those butterflies wore off, I was like, peace out. That's not real love. That's not real intimacy. I need that high of falling in love 24 seven. Wow. And you know, it's funny how you set yourself up for that in regards to watching films that idealize what this love looks like, or is supposed to look like. And it's all, you know, it's all manufactured. Yeah. And so you, I mean, I'm an actor. (laughs) I know that. I literally have done love scenes, so many love scenes, and I know they're not real and I still fall for it. I still can't see certain movies because I, my addict brain goes into that fantasy of, oh no, my marriage isn't right. This is what it's actually supposed to look like, which is not true. Well, and here's the thing, Brianne, it's so interesting because I was going to ask you, Mm -hmm. being an actor, being a producer, being a director, all these things that you've done and you're still in the business. How do you not get triggered? I think it's constant work on my recovery. I have to make my recovery first before anything. I mean, even this morning when I was getting ready, I was listening to an AA old timer and I'm not an AA, but I was listening to a YouTube. You know, I get on a meeting every morning for in sex and love addicts anonymous. I get on a meeting at night. I talk to my sponsor sponsees during the day. I hit my knees every morning and turn my life over to something that I don't understand and don't always trust. 
you know, I do a gratitude list. I say the serenity prayer. Yeah. If I don't do those things and I go to my job, I go to an audition, I go to a meeting, I go to an interview where it makes it seem like it's really about me when it's not about me, yeah. my ego will literally destroy me. So I have to be consistent. I have to work my program. I have to show up for my life. I have to be present. I can't numb out on social media. I can't numb out on Netflix. I literally have to be present. And it's torture sometimes because life can suck. You know, you can Mm. have a bad day and it's Mm. so hard to say, okay, this is just a bad moment. It's not a bad life. It's a bad day, but it doesn't mean I have to run away from my life or disconnect. So it's a daily practice for me. And that is so important. Thank you so much for sharing that because I think that the first part of a program is always recognition, right? Recognizing that you have this problem, this issue, this however you want to term it. And then it's about understanding maybe how you fit into that picture and how your recovery is going to look like. And for you, I think it was really important just now that you mentioned those steps because you're never not an addict. It's, it's like you always will be. And so you know what's going to trigger you. So set yourself up for success by doing the things that you know that are important to do to live a healthy life. And that's what you've done. Yeah, those tools are so critical. I'm getting 12 years right now in my program, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. And they're like, you have 12 years. Why do you go to so many meetings? Why do you speak? Because I speak all over the world and I speak at meetings all over the world and recovery centers. And I'm like, because that is what keeps me sober. Being of service, going to speak has nothing to do with me. Like if I had my way, I'd stay in bed, watch, eat some cupcakes, watch some Netflix, hang out with my husband and my son and be like, peace out to the world because I know I'm spiritually sick. And the only way to get out of that sickness is to be of service in a way where it has nothing to do with me. But I used to be of service. And I have to tell you this, where it was manipulation, I show up for you, then that means I have expectations and you better show up for me or I'm coming for you. Like I, Mm. it would be that codependent manipulation, doing it to get something from the other person. And I Mm. have to show up on a daily basis, not having any expectations on anybody and showing up for the sake of of showing up. Oh God, such wisdom. I love that you share that with us just now, because honestly, Ego can really override a lot of things. And when you take that ego out of the picture and you take that emotion and you start dealing with what in fact is happening here and the facts, and you start giving back from a place that's open-hearted, from a place that you're not looking for something in return, it really makes a huge, huge difference in the way that you live your life the way that you integrate into community, what you actually gain back in regards to authenticity, right? So it changes that relationship that you have with the world in community and how you function in that space. And so I think it's so important to have those skills, to be honest, to be authentic, but what does that look like for each of us? And I think that's something that each of us needs to figure out 
But I think it's wisdom like yours, where you share that, where people can tap into that and go, you know what, this might work for me, or this might work for me, or this might work for me. And they can put together their own picture and how they're going to live in the world in authenticity. Well, yeah. And I think if you have an addict mind or you're spiritually sick, when I say spiritually sick, I mean that you make it all about you. You are always obsessed with you. And it's that insatiable hole. I think society is amplifying right now. I think our society is really killing and that you're always looking outside of yourself for that thing that fixes you, that person, that place, you know, going on Instagram, comparing yourselves to others that insatiable hole is never going to be filled with a new car, a new job, a new boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever, more money in the bank. And I know that it's like when I was at the height of my career, when I did, you know, Jarhead and then prom night. And I thought I would be, and being on six, the show six, you know, series regular for two seasons. I thought, I honestly still believe that even after years of sobriety, that I was good. And I hit another level of surrender where I was like, oh my God, no matter what I have on the outside, it is never going to fix the inside. It is never. And the only thing that gets me out of that insatiable hole is helping somebody else. Mm. The only thing. That is awesome. So let's go into your book. Let's talk about the secret life of a Hollywood sex and love addict and what prompted you to write this. But before we, let me take a little bit of a step back before we get into the book. Can you Mm -hmm. tell me what was that point or was it an accumulation of things, but what was that point of knowing that you came into where you just said enough, this is, this is not who I am. My life has to change. And I don't necessarily, and maybe you can give me your take on this. Do you believe Mm -hmm. in a rock bottom? I do believe in a rock bottom, but I definitely feel like people have different levels of rock Mm -hmm. bottom and you can hit a rock bottom and and get some help. And then sometimes you need to hit another one and then another one. So I think over the 12 years I've had, you know, different levels of rock bottom, I get out of them faster because I have the tools. So that first rock bottom, that first moment I was on set. I was, you know, and I'm not going to say the city because people will figure out where it is. I was on set and someone that I really cared about in my life passed away suddenly from a heart attack. Mm. And I found myself two days later shooting a movie out of town, having a dark night of the soul, looking in a mirror because I started flirting again. I started intriguing again. I started not mentioning I had a boyfriend, started just withholding my truth Mm. and it's because I was hurt It's because I was feeling loss and sadness and pain. And I, as an addict, don't want to feel feelings. I don't feel comfortable. If it's not euphoria, I'm not interested in feeling it like any other feeling I can't tolerate. So when I had that dark night of soul, when I was looking in the mirror and I was going, oh my God, am I going to do it again? Am I going to cheat on my boyfriend that I really, really care about and love as much as I can love and care about and want to be friends with? And it's a good person. And I'm flirting with someone I don't even like, and I'm not even that attracted to, honestly. Like it was like such a moment of like, something is really wrong with this picture. (laughs) Like it can't be every single person I've dated, just not giving me what I thought I needed as a, in a partnership. It had to, I was the common denominator. So it was that moment where I was like, 
I don't want to be doing this till, and I'm 80 years old, never connected to another soul on this planet. Like that to me, that vision. And I do those visions in the book. I'm like, I cannot be on my deathbed, never connected to another soul. I just can't do it anymore. And that was your kind of epiphany. That was your enlightenment. That was the moment where you said, you know what? I'm not going to do this. I'm going to be dedicated to this person, regardless if it lasts a long time or doesn't the relationship, you want to connect with somebody on a different level. And as you said, you weren't really attracted to this person. You really didn't like this person. I didn't know this person. I didn't even know the person. I assign magical qualities to other people. And then when they don't live up to them, I blame them and torture them. And it's like, I did not even know this person and I didn't even know myself. So I'm picking unavailable people because I'm unavailable. But here's the thing in my warped mind, I thought I was the most loving, giving, and that I just had so much love to give and that I just, you know, couldn't stay with one person. It was like, no, it's a cop out. You are scared of real intimacy. You are scared of being abandoned. You are scared of being in love. Like, really two feet in a relationship where the going gets tough and no one leaves. Like I was terrified of that. So I, it was like this, this thing had to click and say, the problem is you, but then going to therapy and having the woman sit in front of me and say, you wear a mask of a high-class prostitute, which pissed me off. And then the (laughs) second thing is you have a secret and I don't know what it is. And then a couple of minutes later, she goes, Oh my God, I know you're sex and love addict. And I'm looking at her going, I've never had a one night stand. I've never had a lot of sexual partners. I don't, what are you talking? I might overlap relationships. I might be a flirt. I might intrigue when I'm at Starbucks, but it doesn't mean I'm a sex and love addict. Mm -hmm. I don't. And she's like, you use your sexuality as, as a commodity. You use Mm -hmm. it to manipulate and control other people and have power over someone else because you feel so powerless. And you then, you know, go out into the world wanting people to like give you attention and validation. That is a sex and love addict. You don't Mm -hmm. have to like be going to like massage parlors or one night stands or being addicted to porn and masturbation. You could do all those things, but she really hit the nail on the head. And I was like, oh my God, this is a problem. Yeah. I've been chasing this unicorn that will never Never, because humans are flawed. No one is ever going to be perfect enough for me. Right. Like, it's just not possible. Well, here's the thing. None of us are perfect. So none of us are going to be perfect for somebody else. Right. But here's here's the other thing, Brianne. You didn't know what an authentic, loving, meaningful relationship looked like. So that manifested itself into something that you were, that you wanted to make it. And you didn't know how to react or respond in relation to when something didn't feel quite right, or you lost a friend and it triggered you, where were you Mm going to go to what you considered that safe place or that place where you were going to get nurturing? And that was that same behavior and patterns that you had established before Mm -hmm. of, oh my gosh, I know this, this is familiar to me. So I'm going to go back to those same old patterns and behaviors. And yet you jumped out of that and said, no, I'm not going to do it today. Today is going to be the day where my journey is going to look different. 
and yeah. bravo to you. And it takes a lot of work. So I know I regressed a bit and we went into <laughs> back into some okay. discussion, but let's get into secret life of Hollywood sex and love addict. Tell us about your book. Give us a snapshot about this book and why this is so meaningful to you. Well, first of all, I always have to say, and it's really important. I never wanted to write a book. I wasn't an interest. I'm dyslexic. I have ADHD. I'm not interested. But when I hit a 10 years of recovery, when I had that 10 year chip in my hand, I noticed in the room I was speaking and there was 80 people and most of them were young. They were 19, 20 years old, having trouble connecting, so disconnected on social media, so disconnected from their sexuality, seeing too much porn, seeing images too young, which I did. And I saw all these young people and I said, oh my God, it like was this wave that came over me like, you have to be bigger than your community. Our community is such a secret community. There's still so much shame and stigma being a sex and love addict, especially as a woman, especially in the public eye. I mean, I'm a working actor, but you know, it was still a lot of stigma. So I just, you know, sat with myself. And then what happened was my husband was like, Hey, there's this writing course to write a novel. And I looked at him like he was totally insane. I was like, I'm shooting Lucifer. I'm good. Like, I don't want to take a writing course. I'm not interested in writing a book. And he kept bothering me like six times going like, (laughs) here, take it. And I said, what are you talking about? And finally he said, listen, just take the course. It's not that expensive. No one has to know. It's 90 days. If you take one class and you hate it, like you'll never, nobody has to know. And I took the class and I wrote the first draft in 45 days. Wow! It was like something bigger than me wrote the book. And I wrote it like a movie and I wrote it like a TV show where it follows this woman working actress. Yes, she is like the anti-heroine, which is a form of me, but I wrote it where it could be anybody. She picks mm-hmm. unavailable people. She's unavailable. She cheats. People have cheated on her. You know, she's addicted to the attention and the high. She wants validation 24-7. She's come from a traumatic background. So I really tried to make this woman who I call Roxanne through the first year of her recovery, I try to make it where anybody can read it and go, oh my God, I've done that. Mm-hmm. Or someone has done that to me. Oh, and this is why. And you get in the mind of the addict, you get in her mind and she says, I'm not going to do this. And then you can trace the tracking of the thoughts to see them why she goes and does it. Because a lot of times with addicts, you're like, wait, you just said you're sober. You just said you're not going to text him. You just said you're not going to go and be with that person that treated you horribly. And then they're back together and you're like, what happened in the last 24 hours? And I really want people to understand that it is compulsion. It is an addiction. You can be addicted to one person in your life and that you're a love addict. Like, so I really just wanted to full range, but I wanted to do it in a way where people are entertained and they can laugh and you can cringe and you can cry and you can be like disgusted and turned on at the same time. Yeah. So it was a full story of this woman, Roxanne, that based on me, but yeah. And I, because every recovery book on love addiction or sex addiction or sex and love addiction, I read it and it was like torture. It was like so dark, so clinical. So I just, it's, I would read a page and throw the book against the wall. Like it was too much. And I just wanted to make it an easy read. 
Yeah. Or is entertaining if you're not even a sex and love addict, it would entertain you, but it would also educate you. Yeah, I love it. I love the book. It is really Thank entertaining. You. It flows really nicely. It's a page turner. So it's a great book to pick up and for anybody to read. I mean, my mom read it. Yeah. <laughs> my mom read it, people. Like, <laughs> if you just the first chapter when you're reading it and be thinking, oh my God, Brianne's mom read this. Like, it's like cringe worthy. <laughs> I mean, she talks about her vagina and like disgusting things and, and, you know, breaking up an engagement and my mom. Yeah. But here's the beautiful thing my mom read it and she called me crying. And I was like, oh no, oh no. And she said two things. The first thing she said is, for the first time in your life, I completely understand your addiction. Wow. And for so long, she wanted to deny it because I get it as a parent. You don't want to look at your kid and be like, I've messed up my kid. And I never blamed her. She did the best she could because her parents did the best they could and right. so on and so on. But then she said, and this was the most beautiful, like, I can't, this is the whole reason to write the book. She said, and I've done some of the things you've done. Oh, wow. That just gave me the chills. Wow. That she recognized in herself Mm -hmm. that she had done some of the things that you did. And Mm -hmm. I think as human beings, we're there. Like it may have looked a little different, but we may have done that similar thing. Yeah. And so that's what these books and these podcasts and these blogs are so valuable for is because it really does kind of enlighten and validate and say, it's okay to be human, but what are you going to do about yourself now? Where are you at now? It really is enlightening. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing all that you've shared today, because I think this is so impactful. We're going to wrap this up because we have shared a lot of information here and you do have a wonderful book that people should go out and buy. But my last question is always, if you were to leave the listeners with some words of wisdom today, what would those be? I think the main thing I would say is you might've done bad things. You might've done immoral things, but that doesn't make you a bad person. We do things to survive this world, but it now is your responsibility to unpack why you do the things you do. And if you're hurting someone, and if you are with someone that has an addiction, especially sex and love, There is nothing that you could do to change that person. You could be the most perfect individual and it wouldn't be enough for that person. So it's like, why are you with them? Or why are you this way you need to look at? Because we are responsible for ourselves and our actions. And that's the most thing is owning who we were and becoming who we're supposed to be. And I think, you know, if I look back at all the damage I created and the ripple effect that I hurt a lot of people, but now my ripple effect is helping a lot of people and that makes living worth living. So if you're struggling out there or you're with a sex and love addict or you are one, there is a way out of that vicious cycle. Mm. Thank you, Brianne, for joining me on the Core Women podcast today. You can connect and follow Brianne Davis on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, IMDb and BrianneDavis.com. Remember to check out her best-selling book, Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict at Amazon and other online and brick and mortar retailers. Thank you for joining us on the Core Women Podcast with Dr. Summer Watson. We're so glad you're here and would love to connect more with you. 
Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Core Women and on Twitter at Core Women One. For more about Core Women and Dr. Watson, visit corewomen.com. Want more support and resources for amazing women like you? Great! Join Dr. Watson and Jen Fontanilla at the Life, Love, and Money Collective, a core women production that aids in understanding the key traits that might be getting in the way of living a life that you are absolutely passionate about. Connect with Summer and Jen and find out more at thelifeloveandmoney.com.